Well, it's good to be here. Um, some of you guys know because you were here last week, but uh, this is actually my last Sunday morning sharing with you guys before me and my wife move. We've got about another month, and I'm teaching again on a Wednesday, but this is my last Sunday for the adults. Um, and uh, if you haven't heard, my wife and I, we were praying about Ireland. The Lord really got our hearts stirred up about serving Ireland, and there, there was all these pastors we met. And the Lord gave us this vision for actually something different than what we initially thought, but it's pretty cool. We're moving to Oklahoma, where her family is, and we're starting a nonprofit ministry to help churches in Ireland with all of their media needs and assistance with websites and graphics. There's a college group in Oklahoma that I'm looking about maybe taking uh, over as a volunteer and, and just teaching and helping with. So um, just keep us in prayer. It's a lot of change, a lot of stuff going on. And um, yeah, it's tough because, you know, we look at this place and we think you, you guys are our family. Uh, we love you all very much. I'm going to miss the high school kids so much. Love you guys over there. Always on that side of the room, just like I taught you. Amazing. <laughs> it's like we sit in the left side and the back. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, just be praying for us. So anyway, I talked about that last week. So I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Jesus. So turn to uh, Acts chapter 27. That's where we're going to be. And um, I just want to say, before I start, I'm really excited because after this, I'm going to go get lunch with my grandparents. <laughs> Boom. So awesome. They always know where to get the best food. So <sighs> let's pray. And we'll get into it. Lord, we love you. God, we're so thankful for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you're doing, God. We thank you that you call us to be a part of it. And even right now, Sunday morning, this is not a religious ritual. This is not us coming together just because we're Christians and that's what we do. God, you've called us to gather, to participate in the reading of scripture and the understanding of your word and communication with the Holy Spirit. You want to speak to every single one of our hearts. God, I thank you that you surpass our limitations, my limitations as a man, as a preacher. God, your voice is here and you speak and we're listening. So please, Lord, open up my mouth to speak the words that you have. Open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our eyes to the things that you want to share with us this morning. We love you, God, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. 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 So um, this is a message that has been on my heart for years. I first taught it when I was the junior high pastor. I was going through the book of Acts. And this is a passage that's just stuck with me. It's one that when I read it, I was like, this chapter itself is a sermon in itself. I barely had to do anything to it besides just read through it because the word of God is just so powerful in this chapter. And it really speaks to storms in our life, issues that we go through, hard times and difficulties and the reality of God in the storm and his call to us and a reminder of what our identity is. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Are you with me? All right. So here's what we're going to do. I have read through this chapter several times. At times, we're going to go into the text. At other times, I'm going to condense down and paraphrase basically what is said in the chapter. So um, at the start of the story, here's the backstory. This is all about the apostle 
Paul. And we know that Paul didn't start out as Paul. He started out as Saul, who was a Christian killer, a Pharisee among Pharisees, a guy who hunted down Christians and rounded them up. He was so passionate about wiping out Christianity because he saw it as a cult, a religious cult against Judaism. But one day he's on his donkey riding to another town to oppress Christians. And Jesus shows up, knocks him off his donkey and says, Paul, that is your new name now. And you will serve me and you will follow me with your life. And so this is the story of Paul. And, and Paul faced many difficulties as a Christ follower. Um, he left his position as a lofty Pharisee and became this like grassroots missionary guy. And, and he faced so many difficulties. He faced um, stoning to the point of death, being beaten, being expelled from different towns, being cursed at, spit upon, and, and, and eventually shipwrecked, as we're going to see tonight. And so things are not going good for Paul. Um, Paul is arrested for preaching the gospel, something we don't really have to worry about in our day and age and context. For Paul, he is constantly dodging the authorities. He was once the oppressor, and now he's the oppressed. And so um, he is arrested for preaching the gospel and brought before Governor Festus and King Agrippa. And he's brought before this court. And I love Paul because, you know, he gets put before this court and they're like, hey, you should stop preaching the gospel. You should cut that out. And instead of like being like strategic and being like, okay, I'll tell them I'll stop and then I'll sneak out and go do it. He actually just starts preaching the gospel to them in the courtroom. He's so punk rock. He's just like, I'm going to do this. I am taking the kingdom for the Lord. And um, here's his strategy. Paul actually wants to be sent to Caesar, the head guy in all Rome, the emperor. He thinks if I can be such a nuisance, if I can be such a pest to the authorities, they are going to have to send me before Caesar. And if I can preach to Caesar, I can win the hearts and minds of the nation of Rome. So Paul is just in it to win it for the gospel. And we see in Acts chapter 27, it begins, the story is unfolded. It's told by a guy named Luke, Dr. Luke, a physician, a traveling companion to Paul who went with him on his journey. So Luke is sitting there writing the story as it unfolds. Now, Paul is on a prison boat. It was thought to be a galley slave boat, which usually had about 276 people on board. Slaves who would sit in the bellows of the shirt or, or the ship, just, just rowing and rowing and rowing. And they were chained to their rowing position and they had to sleep on that wooden bench. And so Paul is placed under the care of Julius, a hard man, a captain of the Roman legion. And he sets sail for the northwest coast of Asia, headed for Rome. And it's a journey where they're going to make several pit stops along the way. They stop at Sidon, and then from Sidon they set sail. And the heavy winds pick up, heavy winds that make it difficult for the ship to keep its course. The winds keep blowing, and they think, oh, we'll sail over here. Oh, wait, the wind's blowing. Now we've got to sail over here. They're going around in circles, and they end up stopping at Myra, and they find an even better ship from Egypt, and so they get on that boat. And it's slow sailing for several days, but finally they get close to their next stop. And at that point, suddenly crazy winds strike up to the point where they could not reach their destination. No matter what they did, these winds kept blowing and it was like they, they, they just could not get where they wanted to go. 
And that reminds me so much of the reality that the enemy does not want us to succeed as Christians. In your life, as you follow Jesus, as you try to do what he's called you to do, he's going to constantly, the enemy will constantly blow these winds of trials into your life that are, his goal is to keep you off course, to a course, to keep you off of your ability to do what God has called you to do. Now, what is Paul's goal? Paul's goal is to bring the gospel to the most powerful man in the world, Caesar. Satan doesn't like that. Satan sees Paul as a threat to his kingdom. We did a series, The King and His Kingdom, talking about how Jesus, through the gospel, brings the kingdom of heaven crashing in to our earthly context. But you know what? Satan doesn't like that. And so the kingdom of darkness is always pushing back. You know what Satan absolutely loves? Some of you guys are like, why would we want to talk about that on a Sunday? <laughs> like, this is a weird message. Um, here's the thing. Satan loves a Christian who is content to just come to church and sit. Just someone who's like, oh, sweet message. Now I'm going to go and just live my life. That is what Satan loves. But you know what Satan is scared out of his mind of? A Christian who comes to church and says, Jesus, your words are the words of life. I'm going to absorb them into my system. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to go home and pray about them. And then I'm going to live them out. Satan is terrified of that kind of Christian. Someone who doesn't just listen to what Jesus says, but someone who does what Jesus says. And the reality is... If you decide to be this kind of Christian, if you decide to live out the teachings and life and ministry of Jesus, you are going to get a target on your back because Satan is going to look at you and he's going to realize, man, you're a threat. Like just coming to church and sitting and being like, oh, that's great. And leaving, you're not a threat. But if you come and you say, man, I'm going to live this out, you get a target on your back. When you follow Jesus, trials will follow you. Just look at our Old Testament examples. David, this man following Yahweh, living out his life as a shepherd, he's called into the service of slaying this giant Goliath, but he's ridiculed by his friends and family. No one takes him seriously. Or Esther, a young woman following the Lord, forced into marriage by a wicked king and an evil assistant plotting the death of her entire people along the way. Daniel, thrown into a lion's den for simply praying. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to a false god. Think about Ruth. Her husband dies, and she's called to follow her mother-in-law as her mother-in-law follows God to this strange new land. And she faced so many oppositions, poverty, homelessness, joblessness, all of these things. And think about Mary. Mary, this young girl, you know, just a teenager, and she's engaged to this man, Joseph, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. God fills her with Jesus, the son of God. But Joseph is like, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. And, and then people are you know, asking Mary, hey, how did that happen? And she's like, oh, it was the Holy Spirit. Now, if you had a friend who got pregnant and you were like, hey, how'd that happen? What, what on earth? And she was like, oh, you know, it was just a God thing. Would you be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. No, you'd be like, what? A God thing? No, this is like, so Mary lived in an honor-shame culture. The Jewish culture was an honor-shame culture, which means that Mary had to endure the harsh stares of every adult figure in her life, just, and, and probably the people her own age mocking her. Mary, Mary, you're 
we thought you were better than that. What happened to you? You were such a, a good girl. You had so many prospects in your life and now you're pregnant and where's the husband? And, and the whole time she's just like, but it was God, it was God. And no one believed her. And even Jesus himself grew up with the mark of a, a boy who didn't have a father. So the, when you follow Jesus, you're gonna face storms. And that's exactly where we find Paul. Look at verse nine, let's pick up there. In verse nine, Paul warns them of what will happen. Verse nine, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but our lives. He gets like really dramatic. He's like, hey guys, we're all, we're all gonna die. And verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul, which makes sense. I mean, if you are a Roman centurion and you're sitting on a boat and there's a prisoner who's like, hey, I think we're all going to die. But then the guy who owns the ship and then the guy at the helm, the captain, they're like, that guy, what is he talking about? Like, I've been sailing ships for the last four years. I know what I'm talking about. Like, who is this guy? That's what's going on. The, the, the advice that Paul is giving them, which is coming from the Lord, is disregarded. And you know what? A lot of times the ways of the world are going to seem better than God's. The messages God gives us as Christians are often going to seem insane to the, the logic and the ways of the world. And you'll face this as a Christian. You will face, as you try to follow Jesus, your friends who, aren't, who don't follow Jesus, they're going to ask, why are you raising your kids that way? Like, why are you doing that? Like, that doesn't make sense. Or if you're in business, it's going to be this question of, man, you're such a good businessman. You're such a talented businesswoman. You have so much potential. Like, why aren't you stepping over people? Why aren't you crushing people in your path? Why aren't you rising to the top? You're, you're, you have all this potential, and that you're, and, and, except you're, you're just loving people, and you're respecting people, and you're, you're giving people grace. Like, why are you doing that? You should be crushing See, the ways of the world don't make sense. Following Jesus doesn't make sense to the ways of the world. And we see that all the time in the Bible. Like think about Joshua. There's a giant wall. There's enemies on the wall. What makes sense? Get an arrow, light it on fire, shoot it over. Like that, have a barbecue. That's what makes sense. But what does God say? God's like, hey, I've got a great battle plan for you. Check this out. It's going to be so great. It's going to be awesome, Joshua. You're not going to believe this. You ready? Form a marching band. Oh, so good. Bring out the trumpets. Start marching around. It's going to be so great. Think about David. You know, it's like, here's this really tall giant. God's like, I've got it. Smallest guy around. Get him. Boom. Battle plan. Sometimes what God tells us to do absolutely does not make sense. But here's the reality. <laughs> You know why he does that? He does that because in the end, we can't take any of the credit. Like we can't sit there and be like, oh yeah, like I did that because I'm great. No, the, the best thing is when in those moments we're like, I thought I was going to die. Like I thought I was going to fail. Like it did not make sense, but I did what God told me to do. And I was doubting the entire time, but I did it. And praise God, he came through. And he doesn't, he's, yeah, you can clap, clap for God. Yeah, I mean, that's what he does. And it's not because he's like an egomaniac. He's not like, oh, I want all the credit. No, listen, the reason he does these things is because we need him like we need water to survive. 
And if we try to do things in our own strength, we start to lose our confidence in him and we think we can do it on our own. He's constantly putting us in these situations where we have to rely on him because he wants to remind us that we need to be connected to the source of life that is him. It's not an egotistical thing. It's a loving thing. Look at verse 14. Let's see what happens next. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called the Eurocliden. It was a storm with a name. And here is how it plays out. Here is how this intense storm plays out. I'm going to paraphrase now for you, as I've read in the scriptures, how the storm unfolds. It begins with powerful winds and waves, tossing them back and forth. They begin to lose their lifeboat, that small boat on the side. It's their plan B. It's their escape route. They think if the ship goes down, at least we have the lifeboat. Now they're losing it. And so with great difficulty, they they secure the lifeboat and they drag it on board. But at that point, great fear begins to grip them. Fear of running aground, which is crashing and burning into the rocks, smashing up and dashing yourself to pieces. And so they panic and they begin to set sail, driven by a desire to get out of the storm. We've got to sail in some of these directions. We've got to get out of the storm. And so with no luck, they are tossed around like a child's plaything. The water and waves just continue to throw them back and forth. And so they begin throwing things overboard, just chucking things over the side, thinking this will save us. This will save us. And by day three, they throw, they throw the ship's tackle overboard. And the ship's tackle was basically a mechanism to lower the nets into the water and catch fish. It was a huge purpose of that kind of boat to keep the people alive on it. So they throw that overboard. Now, verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat upon us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. For days, no sun and stars. They're thinking, if we can just see the sky, if we can just look at some constellations and get some direction from the stars, or if the sun would shine so we could see land, but no, it's nothing but darkness. For days, the clouds are so thick, they can't see. And so the tempest beat upon them, and the tempest was a storm that was filled with rain, snow, sleet, and hail. An intense storm. And finally, All hope is given up. Can you picture in your mind what these men are going through? The intensity and the despair and the desperation, the feeling of just, there is no way out of this. Like, we are doomed. That is what these men are feeling. And I wonder if you can picture in your heart and mind, does this predicament remind you of the storms in your own life. I think oftentimes it can be very similar. I think the storms in our own life can begin just like this storm with winds and waves, intense winds and waves of persecution and change. Winds and waves of change, hard challenges and changes crashing into your life. Maybe for you, it was a divorce. And, and this person that you thought would be for you forever. And now all of a sudden they're gone and you're hurt and you're wondering, what did I do wrong? Maybe it was your parents who were divorced and suddenly everything you knew as a child was gone and your whole perception of the world was changed. 
Maybe for you, it was the loss of a friend, someone that you thought this person will be in my life forever. We are thick as thieves. We, we, we are blood brothers. We, we are soul sisters. And now all of a sudden, this person is just gone from your life. Maybe it was the death of a loved one, someone that you cared so much about, but then an unexpected sickness happened or a tragedy struck and now this person is just gone. And, and every day you wake up and you think, are they still there? But then you realize they're gone and it just leaves this hole in your heart. Maybe for you it was a, a breakup. And you just invested so much into this relationship and you thought this is of the Lord. All the the signs point to marriage. It's going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden they don't want to be with you anymore. Maybe for you, it's moving away from family and friends and just realizing how much you're going to miss everybody and, and how heartbreaking it is that people that have literally been your family for so long are still going to, to be there, but you, you won't be able to see them all the time. And so tossing you back and forth, you begin to lose your lifeboat. I think of that as the thing that you put your security in. We all have these lifeboats in our life where we think, you know, with all the trials and struggles I go through, as long as I have this, I'll be okay. Well, you know what? A lot of times in the storms of our life, those things are the first things to go. And with great difficulty, you find yourself trying to secure that lifeboat, but then you see it slipping away. I remember a young boy who was a part of this church um, whose father died suddenly. It was just a very random thing. It, his body reacted negatively to some medicine he was taking, and suddenly he was dead. And, and I just remember walking with this middle school boy um, out in the back, and he was just looking at me, and he's like, Pastor Aaron, like, I just, my dad's not coming home. Like it's hitting me. Like he's, he's not coming home. Maybe for you, you find that your best friend hates you. You know, maybe it's not just that they're not in your life. Maybe now an, a friend is now an enemy. Words were said, a fight happened. And now this person who was so close is now someone who just, there's this bitterness and, and pain. Maybe you, you are here today and you have moved away from all of your friends and family. Or, or maybe you find, you find yourself in a new school a new college, a new high school. Maybe you find yourself in a new job and, and those friends that you had, that family that you had, that boss who was so great, that work setup that was so good. Maybe now all of that's gone and you're in this new situation and there's no stability and it just feels like, man, how am I gonna support my family? How am I going to get by? How am I gonna have friends? How am I going to succeed in school? All of these things terrify us. And fear begins to grip you. Fear of running aground, fear of in your life crashing and burning against the rocks of life. And we ask ourselves these questions. We, we, we find ourselves getting lost in our fear and anxiety. And we start just listening to the enemy. And we start asking ourselves questions. What if no one ever loves me again? What if my situation goes from bad to worse? What if this pain never goes away? And so you panic and you begin to set sail, driven by a desire to get out of the storm. For many people, it's maybe I'll get into some hard drinking. I, I've seen other people, it seems to work for them. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that will make my pain go away. For others, it's drugs, substance abuse, relying on that to get through the pain and anxiety and struggle. For some people I've seen with young people, especially it's cutting. 
It's, you know, maybe if I do this, it'll, it'll help me get through this, but instead it just makes the pain worse. For some, it's a relationship, and they think, man, all this crazy stuff in my life, I just need some stability. I need a man. I need a woman. I need a boy, a girl. I need a girlfriend, boyfriend. Like, I, I got to make that happen. And then they get into relationships for the wrong reasons, and it just makes everything more complicated. For some people, it's gossip. It's they ruin my life. They gossiped about me. They came against me and now I'm going to ruin their life. I'm going to get them back for what they did to me. For some people, it's sex. It's, it's just, man, I've got this emptiness and I feel like if I do this with this person, it'll make me feel whole, but instead it actually just makes a hole bigger in your heart. There's so many things that we run to, but with no luck, we are tossed about like a toy. And the reality is by opening up the door to sin, we allow Satan in and we become his plaything. And feeling overwhelmed, you begin to throw things overboard. You know, for me, I'll just be honest, when I go through stress and crazy situations, the first thing that goes overboard for me is my time with Jesus. That's just the easiest thing to throw overboard. It's like, I can't deal with this right now. Like, I got too much going on. I'm stressed about too much. And it's very easy for us to throw that overboard. Maybe it's fellowship with believers. Throw that overboard. I can't come to church. I I can't go to home fellowship. I can't be with other believers because they're going to ask me how I'm doing. And and I don't want to tell them because it's just really gnarly and I feel guilty and all this stuff. And remember in the story, they threw the tackle overboard. And what was that for? It was one of the ship's main purposes to catch the fish, to bring in sustenance and nutrition. Um, For us, a lot of times we throw over our purpose. When we get stressed, when life is hard, we take that thing that God told us, hey, this is your gift. This is how I want you to serve people. This is how I want you to love people. This is how I want you to minister to people. And we say, I just, I can't do that. I got to focus on me right now. I've got too much going on. And we throw the thing that God has called us to do overboard. Maybe you, like the people in this story, maybe you feel like you haven't seen the sun or stars for several days. It's just been clouds. Maybe you feel like God has not spoken to you in ages. And the tempest of life, the rain, the snow, the sleet and hail of life beats upon you. And maybe like the men in the story, all hope has been given up. Maybe at this point you're even here today and you're like, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. Someone invited me here. I don't want to be here. I feel hopeless. Maybe that's you. If that's you today, if any of you are struggling with any of this, if this is resonating with any of you, I think God has a word for you today. Actually, two words. It's take heart. Everyone say that with me. Take heart. Look at verse 21. But after they had not eaten any food for a long time, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me, (laughs) which is great. You know, he gets in the flesh. He has a little, I told you so moment. Um, And, you know, I'm glad that's not all Christianity is, you know, God just saying, don't do it. And then you do. And he's like, I told you not to do it. What's wrong with you? I'm, you know, the, the, the word of God is always about conviction but never condemnation. The Bible is meant to be like a mirror and we open it and we see our inner darkness, but then we allow the light of Jesus to shine into our inner darkness. And the thing was on this boat, these men had lost something. It was hope. What does Jesus offer all the time? It's hope. Jesus is so full of hope for us. Look at verse 22. Paul says, but now, I told you so, but now I urge you, Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. 
You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Let's look at what he says here. He says, take heart. Here's what it means to take heart. To take heart means receive courage based on a fact. So let's just say you're sailing with Columbus on the ocean blue, and you are in the boat, and Columbus comes from the olden days where they thought the world was flat. And so Columbus looks at the horizon and he says, oh no, we're all going to die. The earth is flat. You could turn to him and say, Columbus, take heart. The world is round. Fact. We're going to be okay. I remember um, I was working at the church as a graphics designer slash youth pastor years ago. I was kind of doing both. And uh, I was working with Jamie Urbina and a couple other guys, Skylar Westby. We were all upstairs in the upper room. It was just basically a big room full of Ikea tables and laptops. And so... You know, we're just up there doing our graphics and suddenly the power goes out in the building. Just all the power goes out, just pitch black. And we're like, that's weird. So we all call our wives and we're like, hey, you guys okay? And our wives are like, actually the power went out at home. My wife was at a restaurant. Like the power just went out everywhere. So we were like, whoa, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, as we're trying to figure out what's going on, we hear this siren in the background. And it was really just like an electrical box of the church that went out that was like beeping. But we were like, is that like an air raid siren or like the Russians attacking? Like what's going on? Like what's happening? And then Jamie, who just was being a punk, he was like, um, he was like, he's like, hey guys, um, you know, I I don't know about you, but like the air feels kind of hazy, you know, (laughs) like almost like a chemical weapon or something. Like, are you, I'm having trouble breathing. Are you guys okay? And me and the other guys, the younger guys were like, we're going to die. Oh my gosh, we're all going to die. And I wish, yeah, thanks Jamie. Um, (laughs) I wish somebody would have just come to us and said, Hey, take heart. (laughs) It was just the power outage fact. It's going to be okay. We've all got crazy storms in our life. You're here today and you're all going through things. Some of us are going through really intense things. Some of us are going through things that honestly no one should ever have to go through. Horrible things. Some of us are we're, we're dealing with the daily struggles of life, but in all cases, we have storms and difficulties. And I just want you to understand something. I want you to understand that this message of taking heart is for you today. I want you to take comfort in some facts. So for you, I say, take heart. Jesus loves you. Fact. Take heart. Yeah. Take heart. Jesus knows what you're going through. Fact. Take heart. Jesus will be with you in the storm because he promises to never leave you or forsake you. Fact. And take heart because Jesus faced death and died on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. Fact. I taught at a junior high camp recently, and the theme was, who am I? And junior high kids are constantly asking that question of, who am I? And they have so many messages being pumped into them by the world around them. It's, you know, you have to be pretty. You have to be attractive. You have to be athletic. You have to be liked on social media. You have to constantly present yourself in a way that's perfect and flawless. And you have to be academic. And you have to please your parents and your teachers and your coaches and just everybody at all times. And if you don't, you're a failure and a loser and you should just go away. That's what junior hires face all the time. And the message that we gave to them at that camp was, you know, we were saying, hey, you have all these messages in your head, all these ideas of, you know, you ask the question, who am I? And the world says, you're this, you're this, you're this. This is what you're supposed to be. This is what you have to be. This is what you have to strive to be. But God's message for those middle school kids and for you today is we ask the question, who am I? And God just responds, hey, you're loved. Yeah. 
You're loved. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're loved. As simple as that. And I love in verse 23, Paul says, For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong, love that, and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted everybody on this boat to you. Now, Paul's not special. Like, did you know that you have the same access to God's heavenly forces? Did you know that God has set aside angels for you? Look at Psalm 91. Verse four through six says, God's faithfulness is a protecting shield. You shall not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that roams in darkness, nor the plague that ravages at noon. For God commands the angels to guard you in all your ways. With their hand, they shall support you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The angel's like, hey, Paul, God's got this. Don't worry. Like, you've got a mission, man. You were supposed to go to Caesar. Therefore, you were going to go to Caesar. It doesn't matter if the ship explodes, catches on fire, sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Like you are going to get to Caesar, man. It's all okay. And you know what? As a bonus, we're going to save everybody on this boat. It's so great. I love it. And so, you know, here's the thing. When you're walking in the will of God, you can have confidence that you're going to be okay. And God is going to see you through as it accords with his will. Here's what I mean. Like I could walk outside today and I could get run over by a truck I, I could. I literally could. That could happen. There is like a, you know, 50% chance like that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I look both ways before I cross the street. So like 25% chance. There, there could just be like a crazy mad truck that careens off the road and gets me. Um, but you know what? I, if that happens, yeah, I mean, it'll be sad. But I have something coming to me and it's a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. And yeah. And so... As Christians, there's this reality that, like, we're indestructible. Like, uh, missionaries out in dangerous countries, they go out there knowing they have a bulletproof soul. And I, I love that. There's this reality that nothing can stop us. And yes, the enemy does attack. And yes, God allows it. He allows storms into our life. But here's the thing. If you're walking in God's will and he has a purpose for you and a mission for you, he is going to keep you safe and secure to complete the mission he has called you to do. Now, does that mean it'll be easy? No. Does that mean there'll be bumps along the way and challenges and difficulties? Oh, yeah. But the reality is, if you're walking in the will of God, he is going to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish in and through you. And we can take that to the bank. So look at verse 22. He says, now I urge you men, Take heart, for there'll be no loss of life among you, only the ship. I love the dichotomy presented here, because basically what Paul is saying is the angel has told him, hey, there's going to be some physical loss, the ship, but you know what is going to remain? The spiritual, because there's going to be no loss of life. Life is, yes, physical, but it's also spiritual. I think we can apply this, because so many times in our life, we're going to face challenges, and the reality is we will face loss. We could lose money. We could lose our home. We could lose friends. We could lose all types of things, physical things. But you know what we can't lose? We can't lose our eternal life. We can't lose the security that we have in Christ. And so there's no loss of life, only the ship. Look at verse 25. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Do you want to hear that if you're on that boat? No, you're like, what? Who is this guy? Paul, you're crazy. Paul's saying, hey, take heart. 
It's all going to be okay. We just got to trust God. It's going to work out great. Our ship's going to crash and explode, but we're going to be, we're going to be fine. Like, are you believing this man if you're on this boat? No, I'm not. If I'm honest, I'm like, no, we're going to die. This guy's crazy. He's what on earth? And so that is just the place that we come to in faith and in Christianity to constantly be in this position where by all accounts, we have no security when it comes to the physical stuff presented on paper. But then when we look not at our paper, but we look at the word of God, then we see that security. And we realize that really he is always in control. But this is back to the storm. Let's get back in the story. 14 nights this has been going on, driven up and down the ocean. They have been sailing. And around midnight, the sailors see some land, land ho. But then they see some rocks and they're like, this is not going to be good. And what does God say? God says, hey, it's all going to be okay. Stay in the boat. You're going to survive, but you're going to have to hit the rocks. Some of you right now are in situations where God has called you to be in these situations. And by all accounts, it looks like it's going to be a disaster. But God is saying, stay in this situation. I've put you because I've called you to this place and this time for my glory. And, you know, will it be easy? No. Will it be painful? Yeah. But you know what? That's the challenge that we see these sailors in. And let's see how it plays out for them. You see, the sailors feared the rocks. So in the story, it tells us they start dropping anchors. They're just like, we got to put a stop to this. Whoa, Paul, like, this is a little crazy, man. We, we can't keep doing this. And they, so they drop the anchor. Is that you today? Are you trying to stop the work God is doing in your life because it's painful? Are you dropping anchor because you don't want to go through the growth process? You don't want to pass through the fire as that piece of coal that comes out golden in the end because you know it'll be painful? They start praying. And that's what I would do. But you know what? They're not praying like Jesus. They're not saying, God, your will be done. You know what they're praying? These, these sailors, they're saying, make it stop. Bring the sun out. That's what they're praying. I just, please just let me see the sun. You know what? In, in my life, what I've realized is when I go through storms, that's exactly what I pray. It's God, make this trial stop. Lord, get this over with. But you know what I've realized? God has a purpose. Like he doesn't, he doesn't whip up those storms. Like the enemy sends them, but God has a purpose for allowing them into our life. He has a process he wants to bring us through. And I've realized lately, something God's put on my heart is when I'm in the storms, I need to stop praying, God, get me out of this. And I need to start praying, God, teach me what you want to teach me while I'm in it. It's such a better way to pray. And so the sailors, they're just going crazy. They're trying to sneak off the ship, they're, they're letting loose more anchors. Some of them are trying to go grab the lifeboat, which seems smart, right? I mean, in, in a storm, it's like the ship is going to get destroyed. The lifeboat, that's our last chance. But what does Paul say? Look at verse 31. So Paul says to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you can't be saved. Like, do you think these guys are just loving Paul right now? <laughs> they're like, dude, Paul, you are the worst. What is wrong with you? Paul's like, guys, we all got to stay in the boat. If you, if you don't stay in the boat, you can't be saved. And you know what? Um, Here's something I want to make really clear because my next point is stay in the ship, in the storms. Don't jump overboard. Stay in the ship. Here's something I want to make clear really quick though. Uh, God put this on my heart at the junior high camp I taught and I just want to just give it to you as well. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm not saying is 
If you're in an abusive situation, if you're here today and someone is hurting you, um, someone is hurting your family, you're in a dangerous situation, I'm not saying that God's will for you is just, oh, just stay in that situation, just pray until everything gets better. Like, if you need help, come get help. There's people here you can talk to today. But what I'm talking about is I'm talking about staying in the will of God. Stay in that ship. Stay where God has called you to. I I remember talking to some atheists um, at a coffee shop, some college-age kids, and we were having a great chat, but I just asked them, because they used to be Christians. I was like, why'd you leave? Why'd you leave the faith? And they said, well, because things didn't really go the way I wanted them to. God let me down. You know, people got sick in my life. People died. I was just like, why would a good God let that happen? And this is just what God has reminded me of in those moments where I doubt him, Christianity is not a promise that things will always go our way in this life. Christianity is a promise that no matter what we go through, good or bad, Jesus will be with us and he will see us through. So these guys are jumping out of the boat. Where are they headed? Right back into the storm, which I've seen a lot of young people do. I've seen a lot of young people coming through the youth group over the you know 10 years I've been involved. I've seen them When things get hard, they say, man, I got to put my Christianity on hold right now. I can't follow Jesus in this storm. I got to wait till the storm clears and then I'll get my life right back with the Lord. And so they jump ship and they think that things are going to be better out of the ship, but really they're jumping right back in to the storm. Look at verse 31. Paul again says, unless you guys stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Was staying in the ship hard? Yeah. Was it painful? Yeah. Crazy. You bet. But was staying in the ship exactly where God wanted them to be? Yes, absolutely. So when I say stay in the ship, I mean stay where God wants you to be. Even if it's hard, painful, difficult, or crazy. Because when you find yourself in the hardest places of life, that is where Jesus is most glorified as your savior. Stay in the ship. So they listen. Verse 32, they cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. We need to do this. We've all got things that we've tied ourselves to, things that we've roped ourselves to, where we think, man, if Jesus doesn't work out, like this is plan B. This is the thing I go to in those moments that Jesus just isn't doing it for me. A lot of us, myself included at times, we've got these things that we tie ourselves to and God just calls us to cut those loose. Look at verse 12, or Hebrews 12, verse one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now we're getting to the tail end of the story here. And this is a very interesting part. I love this. Um, so after they cut the ropes, day begins to come, which is great. That's a great point. A lot of times the reason we're in the storms, the reason in the storms things feel so gray and it feels like God is not speaking to us, it's not just the storm. It's because we haven't cut the ropes. It's because we've allowed sin into our life because we're trying to make up for what we feel God isn't giving us. And so it clouds our vision and our judgment and it keeps us from hearing the voice of God. Notice in the story, when they finally cut the ropes, that when they finally surrender and say, okay, we're in this, like we are just doing what God wants, that is when all of a sudden the clouds part and their vision becomes clear. Look at verse 34. Paul begs them to eat food. It's been 14 days since they ate. So he says, therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival since not a hair of head will fall from any of you. So can you just imagine sitting there with Paul and your, your boat is racing towards the rocks and he's passing out bread. He's like, guys, let's eat. Let's have a feast. You guys aren't going to lose a single hair on your head. Like, again, do you believe this man? <laughs> the, the, the audacity of faith that this man has. 
In the storms of life, we often go without the bread of life. And so if that's you today, if you're in a storm and you've let your time with the Lord fall to the wayside, I just want to urge you, take nourishment because like Paul said, this is for your survival. Like God is not in this to see you perish. He wants you to eat, grow strong, and keep moving. And Paul leads by example and he takes the bread, breaks it, and thanks God in front of everyone. I just want to say this really quick. If you're in a storm right now and there's other people in the storm with you, uh, spouse, family, friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, coworkers, whatever it is. If you've got people who are in your storm with you, be like Paul and be an example of what it looks like to be somebody who, even though nothing makes sense and even though everything seems insane, be the person who is breaking that spiritual bread and passing it around and modeling for everyone what faith looks like. It doesn't mean you have to have complete confidence in yourself or say everything's going to be great, but it does mean you have complete confidence in Christ and you pass that confidence around to everyone that you can. And so they all begin to eat and that looks crazy to the world. 276 men headed for the rocks, headed for death, destruction. What are they doing? Trusting God and having a feast. They're like, like cruising towards the rocks and they're all just like, ha, 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 like eating this bread and just like, this is going to be great. Like they've, they've fully bought into this idea that God is on their side. They are trusting God and having a feast. And that's just such a picture of what the church is because our world is crazy. Our world doesn't make sense, but we're a people who gather together and we feast together on fellowship and we break the bread and, and we feast on the word of God. And we say, you know what? This, we're not saying that everything's going to be okay in this world, but we're going to say that everything is okay because because of Jesus. He's already done it. He's already won it. And so after their meal, they begin tossing everything overboard that's slowing them down. They, they throw the wheat overboard. They throw all the anchors overboard. They loose the rudder ropes and they hoist the mainsail. And as you can imagine, now with all that weight gone and the mainsail hoisted, to speak in sailor terms, now the ship is moving very fast. And now they are literally rushing towards the rocks racing towards the rocks faster and faster, faster, believing, trusting, and also probably freaking out at the same time, just going faster and faster. And, and they were scared, of course, but they took heart because they knew God was with them. And so closer and closer and closer, they came to the rocks and it's racing and racing and the rocks are getting closer. And suddenly they smash and dash against the rocks and the front of the ship got stuck in the rocks and could not move while the back of the ship was broken up by the violence of the waves. Waves, the boat was exploding and sinking. And we're thinking, is this the end for our heroes? And the, and the soldiers, they, they see the prisoners trying to escape. And so they draw their swords. But Julia, Julius, the captain says, no, 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 don't kill them. If you, if you kill the prisoners, you'll kill Paul. And this man is obviously of God. So Julius says, everybody overboard, prisoners, Paul, captain, soldiers, everyone. So they jump overboard and the ship explodes and people start swimming wildly. They're grabbing onto pieces of driftwood. Everyone's just like, it's this moment of chaos but suddenly the dust settles and everyone's on the beach and Julius is counting heads and he's like, everybody's here. Nobody died. Paul, you were right. Is, is this not a great story? It's, it's fantastic. It's all there in the Bible. I'm just reading it to you. <laughs> so this is just how I want to bring this home and I'm going to invite the worship team back up. But uh, you know, some of you will soon be facing storms in your life because the world is full of sin and Satan hates you. It's true. <laughs> he hates you. He hates your guts, okay? It's not a question of will I suffer as a Christian? It's when will I suffer as a Christian? 
And some of you here today are facing storms this very second. Will you listen to what God is trying to tell you? When the storm comes, are you going to jump overboard into the waters of sin, into the waters of despair and hopelessness? Or are you going to stay where Jesus has you? Will you stay in the ship? Are you going to let fear win the day? Or are you going to trust in God's plan for you? Will you take heart? Will you be like David, who as a small boy said, I take heart because God is with me and killed a giant that an entire army was too scared to fight? Will you be like Esther, who in the face of overwhelming fear said, I take heart because God is my strength and saved an entire nation from destruction? Will you be like Daniel, who while in the middle of a pit of lions growling and licking their lips said, I take heart because God made these lions and they can only hurt me if he lets them. Will you be like Mary, who after facing a horrible gossip and her fiancé almost leaving her, took heart, rode while pregnant on a long, dirty, bumpy trail on a donkey to Bethlehem, and in a filthy stable gave birth to the Savior of all mankind. Take heart. John 16, 33 says this, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Will you give up or will you stay in the ship? Will you give in to fear or will you face your fears? Take heart because fact, Jesus loves you. Will you constantly be asking the question, who am I? Or will you listen to the answer? Who are you? Loved. That is who you are. You're loved and you're called. And so as we go into this time of communion, I want to invite you to just take all of your fears and your anxieties and your troubles and worries and lay them at the feet of Jesus. I listened to a message this morning as I was getting ready by a guy in San Francisco and he was teaching about just fear. And he was saying basically the enemy of faith is not doubt. The enemy of faith is anxiety. And then he said, he said, I say this as a man who struggles with anxiety. And what he was saying is anxiety is basically when we allow our worries and fears to become this gripping part of our life that is all-encompassing. And it, it's where basically he, he was saying, like, why do we have anxiety? Why do we struggle? And it's saying it really comes from a place of a lack of confidence that everything's going to be okay. It's this deep worry where we're saying, like, man, I just don't think this is going to work out. And we're just struggling with that. And as he was sharing that this morning, I was listening to him. I was like, man, that's an amazing reality that if we have confidence in Christ, even though our situation looks bad, if we have confidence in Christ that everything's going to be okay because he says that it's going to be okay, then we can have the utmost confidence. And so as we go into communion, I want to just encourage you, like lay it all out. As you take, the men are going to pass out some communion cups and crackers if you get them, just do communion on your own. I'm not going to lead it. This is between you and the Lord. As you take that cup that represents his blood, remember your sins. Remember your struggles. Don't beat yourself up about them, but remember them. And then repent. And remember that it's his blood that washes you clean. And as you take, as you take that bread, as you take that bread, remember his body that was broken for you. And remember that Jesus endured the harshest storm that anyone has ever had to face when he sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and hung on a cross. He went through the world's harshest storm so that you wouldn't have to. So remember those things. Let's rejoice and let's worship and let's lay our fears and anxieties down at his feet. 
and ask him to take control. Amen? Lord, we love you. God, we give this time to you, this time of worship, this time of praise. We're so thankful for who you are. God, I ask that this would be a time that you would loosen chains, help us to cut the ropes. And Lord, for some people here, they're in harsh situations. They're sailing towards the rocks and it seems crazy. God, show them exactly what you want them to do. Show them how they can stay in the ship. Show them, Lord, that your plan, even though to the world probably seems crazy, Lord, show them that your plan is the better path. Lord, I pray that you would lift fear, lift anxiety, give courage today. Fill us with your spirit and help us, God, to go forward with complete confidence in you. Not in ourselves, but in you and your power to overcome. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time. In your name, amen.